Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 49 to Orly. Hi, Alex. Hello, Paris. Yes, not, back not in exactly fa- Well, fa- infamous for its, uh, for its airports. I'm not a fan. Well, I have very interesting backstories about that airport. Uh, I- I've been there last October, which is why I've picked it up for this show. But there's a lot of interesting, you know, trivia about that airport. I'm not a huge fan, but uh, it will get better. I mean, we'll hear that at the end of the show. Uh, we said in the last episode that every time there was a new livery, uh, people were up in arms when we have a taste of our own medicine because... <laughs> I've introduced a new livery uh, and a new intro to the show in the last episode, uh, unannounced, obviously, and we've gotten, I mean, we've gotten great feedback, but also gotten like um, Nick Donnelly, at Nick Donnelly on Twitter, is a faithful uh, listener, said, no, you changed the bet, postcast opening in history, put back, I'm Alex Hunter, the lack of interest was classic, (laughs) and he adds, this would be like your new livery being a mustard stain wife beater. Oh, Ouch. <laughs> uh, sorry, Nick. So uh, the reason I did this is because in order to actually deliver more episodes throughout the year, I wanted to not every time have to record a different intro. I mean, part of it was always the same, but, you know, there was this part where we were pretending to announce uh, what the, the topics were to the show. I, I, I don't have time to do it. I'd rather just edit the show, put it on the air as fast as I can. Uh, and also, I was never happy. That's me being the perfectionist. I was never happy about the quality of the sound. Actually, for those who don't know, I don't think I've ever revealed that. Most of the intro was recorded in a Boeing 777, which created a real sound of being in an airplane. The problem is, I was trying, but I could never be completely faithful replicating that experience for that bit in my studio. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I think Marcus, uh, I think it was Marcus Volter. I'm not sure. Come forward, whoever. I, th- I remember that two years ago when I introduced the previous intro, uh, that legendary one, apparently, there were people saying, hey, guys, that's cheesy. Yeah, <laughs> so we, that's true. You can't please everyone, no, right? No. <laughs> no. And plus, you know what, guys? We're not pilots. Uh, so this intro reflects the fact that we are two guys talking about aircraft and we're more of the passenger <laughs> perspective. Uh, I hope you like it. There's also a few changes of delivery. I changed the website as well. It's not finished. I'll talk about it more uh, next week. If you want to enjoy a little bit of the things I've done, you can try to download, uh, if you are on iPhone on iPad, uh, the app called Overcast. Uh, it's yeah, a version podcast three app. just came out and it's stunning. Don't worry, guys, if you don't use it, if you use whichever uh, podcast app uh, and service, it won't change anything. But there's a few new things that you might see if you use a specific set of apps. I'll talk about it in the uh, next episode. We had uh, great feedback about our last uh, episode, actually. Uh, Mathieu Guillaume du Luc at uh, TEWMGD liked it. Uh, we had fun on Twitter about that one. Mark, whom we interviewed in episode 40, our friend, author, and pilot for BA747. Seven says it's a great episode, so thank yeah, you so much, was, Mark. That was very nice to hear. Praise <laughs> for Caesar indeed. 
We also had, I think you know him, uh, Ben Todd at Thomas Cook. Yes. Uh, at its underscore and underscore airline also praised us for the episode. Very nice guy. Yeah, honestly. and they so, do, especially Ben, do a great job uh, on Instagram of posting behind the scenes stuff at their facility in Manchester. So follow Ben, follow them uh, on Instagram because they post some really interesting stuff. Uh, and also uh, we had another iTunes review by our friend uh, Glue Code. Uh, I know he's also listens uh, since almost the beginning. The title of of the review is do not listen at your own loss if you're an aviation geek flying not a travel nerd this is your uh, go-to podcast the, the chemistry between the host is the best part etc etc he loved the recent episode of 48 where paul just flew the bombardier and alex view on the current u.s travel issue is very insightful and he loves that we have a lot to say about ife so well thank you glucode another five star wow that's really <laughs> nice thank you guys for taking the time to do that that episode proved uh, quite popular. Although I think our most popular episode stays Tony Tyler's episode 46. Uh, yeah, so it's see. Tony and Mark. I think uh, there's a trend there with people basically not us talking. <laughs> <laughs> Anton uh, at uh, Derlus on Twitter uh, said, you remember we were talked about whether or not we should applaud uh, when we were landing. Mm. And he added this tidbit because I think he lives in Russia. Some people still applaud at landing in Russia, but freaking flyers tend to roll their eyes at it. Well, isn't that the case everywhere anyway? You know, yeah. freaking flyers are so like... <laughs> I like it. I, like I said this last time. I, I think it's rather lovely. It certainly harks back to a different era of travel. I do agree. Uh, and also, I want to correct myself. I think I said the wrong country for the prime minister who was uh, held at U.S. border. It was from Norway. I think I said Denmark. So please, apologies for, for that. It shows how good I am at geography, right? Uh, <laughs> since we're on that, we have to start again with this because uh, the, the travel ban, uh, so it's lifted. But first, the Department of Justice is no longer looking into it. Why? Because uh, they note that the Trump administration will release a new executive order. We don't know its content. We don't know when. Uh, so for the moment, uh, travel to the US is back at normal. Well, almost back at normal, because what was the big debate in the past week was this whole thing about, should you release your passwords upon entering uh, the US uh, territory? There's been a lot of stuff about it. So it's not something completely new, by the way. It's not something that just happened because of that executive order we talked about last week. Uh, US borders can ask you for your social media password for email passwords, for any password that could open stuff that is within a device you're holding with you, whether it's an iPhone, whether an Android phone, laptop, tablet, etc., etc., of course, it's uh, it's a bit, um, I mean, I'm on the fence about that. I mean, it, the U.S. is not the only country to do that. Uh, Are they not? Canada can ask you that. A lot of countries have gray areas. China can do that. Israel can do that. I'm not diminishing the fact by saying that. I'm just saying that it's not so something totally new. But it seems to have increased in the number of times people were asked about it. There was, I think, a NASA engineer who was stopped at the border and asked to release all these passwords. And he said, well, you know, it's a NASA phone. So you have a lot of, you know, confidential information about, I guess, what NASA works on. I don't know if we're going Mars or something. <laughs> it's it's a bit it's a bit of a question mark. So what should you do? There was a I don't know if you read it, but there was a lot of articles about it. So for instance, uh, I think Wired had a whole what should you do 
Yeah. In order to avoid giving you your password. Yeah, so. I, I read one, and I think that Corey Doctorow posted it on Twitter, which was, if you use two-factor authentication and take the SIM out of the phone, you can give them the password, but they can't get into the device because you don't have the SIM card to receive the text message, which would be the second-factor authentication. But I think the overarching message was... Whatever you want to do, whatever you feel comfortable with, don't lie. Yeah. Just get you into trouble. But uh, yeah, yep. it, it makes me uncomfortable. I, I yeah, that, yeah, that's I, the term I was looking for. Uncomfortable. It's you know I, when I said I was on the fence is because I get it in a certain way. You know, today accessing information if you are a potential terrorist or whatever is probably one of the only ways to actually get that information. At the same time, if it gets to everybody has to suddenly, you know, give your passwords because, you know, they are uh, softwares that can be used to basically then download your entire phone and yeah. your entire data. Uh, so some people said you have to have a burner phone with you. So basically a second phone. Some other people say, oh, you know what? Do it easy. So basically remove most of the apps you want to take with you and put the password at uh, four zeros or AAAA, whatever. So make it as easy as possible to for whatever you actually want to show. Well, all this is great. But at the end of the day, they really want to know, for instance, your iCloud password where all your backup information would then they would ask you and and basically the stances and that's that's the most important thing I think it's the uh, let me check his name Secretary of US Homeland Security John Kelly he said uh, what site do you visit give us our passwords and basically if you don't want to do it don't enter don't come to the US so well well I wonder that gives if they it ask leeway. that to US citizens I'm not sure it's uh, it's uh, green card holders everybody who has a visa basically every foreign citizen who wants to enter the US. I mean, we'll monitor the situation. Uh, I don't know how big it is because, you know, there's this tendency, especially you and me are read a lot about probably what happens in the tech world. And obviously when it's about passwords and your privacy, there was tons and tons of articles. I'm not sure how often that happens, uh, probably more than it used to be because they talk about it. But uh, I don't know. I'll report back when yeah. I go to And to if you've US. had any experiences of this, any of you that listen, let us know. I'd be fascinated to hear if any of you have been stopped or have even seen an increase in the amount of time it's taking you to get through immigration. Not the cues, but the amount of questions you're being asked, the scrutiny that you're getting. Let us know. Some people say you should have a travel kit, so separate devices for each country you enter in. I don't know. To finish with that, the New York Times has a pretty balanced view on that. They say, well, you know, it's up to you. The resistance you'll give to U.S. Customs is, you know, know the cost. The cost might be you might be denied entry into uh, the U.S. By the way, I don't know if it's purely coincidental, but Nokia is <laughs> bringing back the 3310. I saw that. That's so cool. I mean, it's it's funny, and I think you know there's this we've come full circle haven't we we now want a an indestructible phone that will last seven days on one battery on one charge this one doesn't have access to pretty much anything any apps any internet uh, whatever so that's a very safe phone i would say i'm not sure i'm gonna buy one but i, I mean i enjoyed that uh, nostalgia thing yeah. uh to finish with that uh, travel ban thing uh just the chicago tribune reports that actually interest of uh tourists and people wanted to go in the u.s has been actually declining for the first time in a long time or where uh, less and less people want to enter i mean it might be just a temporary dip let's not say suddenly people do not want to go to the u.s it's still a very attractive country and a great country to visit but there's been like a, a dip in interest from china ireland denmark new zealand these are the countries they mentioned and probably others 
But since we are the US and uh, since we love the 7478, another story that we didn't mention was we were not recording at the end of 2016. Do you remember that Donald Trump had actually said that I don't need a 4.2 billion airplane to fly around? And he basically wanted to ditch the, the new order of the Dash 8. Yeah, I did see that. And of course, the stock of Boeing tanked almost immediately. But then since then, he went to Boeing's North Carolina plant and was there for the 78710 unveiling. So perhaps that was a uh, an active relative contrition on his part to say, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a negotiation tactic because, yeah, like you said, and he met the CEO of Boeing, uh, Mullenberg, I think his name. They actually are have discussed like simplifying the requirement for Air Force One, so basically having a cheaper plane. So um, I don't think he will cancel it altogether. It might just be a way to reduce the price tag. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, if you look at how long the existing or the current Air Force One has served, that's a seven four seven two hundred, I think, and that's an old airplane. So they've got their uh, their money's worth out of that plane, relatively. <laughs> We still haven't flown that one. One uh, possibility was on February 8th. Lufthansa is doing cool things actually currently with uh, that airplane. They flew a special flight to New York for Fashion Week. And uh, during the flight, you could actually have speeches. They actually had created a dedicated special Wi-Fi to ensure that streaming was available to all these uh, special VIPs, I guess, in the flight. Uh, I think in collaboration with Inmarsat That's and stuff. Cool. So, I yeah, hear about they, they, this. I also popped up in my radar are like very lately is uh, just actually the day after the flight and they are planning to do another such flight i don't have the details to go to south by southwest i don't know it's going to be a 747-8 this time but uh, so if anyone of you is planning to go there from i think frankfurt there will also be similar speeches and maybe pitches from startup i don't know but uh, cool things why not yeah, yeah. absolutely i yeah I, i'd still desperately want to get on that airplane but they're not easy to find unless it's Lufthansa or Korean Air, there's, there's not many out there. They just received the 350-900 and uh, Runway Girl Network uh, gave them a little bit of beating of saying, guys, you're doing a fantastic job in the back. Apparently, economy and premium economy in the 350-900 is really good on Lufthansa. There's more width, more leg room. They're doing a very good job. That's what they say. But where they're doing poorly is in the front of the cabin when they still have these seats when, you know, basically you're, you're battling for a space with your feet with your fellow passenger. Yeah. There's no like direct ail access and they're saying it's not such a great product well i don't know you know it's still it's still a good product but to be fair when clients pay me business class uh that's one of the reasons i don't fly them as you know i have better products yeah. El elsewhere yeah they've been getting a, a lot of stick for this you know the roman girl network has been very good at retweeting without comment some articles that cover this this issue but yeah it seems like a little bit of a misstep on their part when i feel like we've cracked the business class seat generally we know what yeah. works we I know agree. It doesn't work in this current generation of seats. So for them to make this misstep, I mean, it happens to everybody and it's always happened throughout the history of modern aviation. Somebody finds a way to screw it up and, you know, the product itself doesn't last for very long and is slowly taken out back and shot and something else comes along to replace it without too much fanfare. But 
Yeah, it's weird. Since we are in Europe and in Lufthansa, I'll say a little bit more about these two. First, uh, Lufthansa is clearly one of the proponents of also defending Europe against the ME3, the same story we hear in the US, but in Europe. And apparently the European Commission is currently working to revamp a law that would impose duties on non-EU airlines. This is clearly directed at uh, Gulf Airlines. Or even suspend their flying rights if uh, it finds that they have caused injury to European airlines. Wow. That's Uh, basically uh, the definition of protectionism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That tells you maybe Etihad should have bought Lufthansa. We wouldn't hear about this. The other thing, you remember that Lufthansa Group had uh, started imposing a fee on GDSS. So basically, if you're a third party selling seats on Lufthansa, Swiss, uh, Austrian and Eurowings uh, slash German wings, because they're one of the same now, uh, they would impose, I think it was a 16 euro fee. So basically, they would push you to go to a website or an app from the Lufthansa Group to buy your ticket. Now they've actually opened an API. So if you use the API from Lufthansa, whether you're a Skyscanner, etc., etc., you'd be actually able to sell their inventory by using the API, not going through a GDS. Interesting. That is interesting. Don't you think it's a future for a lot of airlines? I was just thinking that. That that makes a much more elegant solution to a problem that has been caused by the fact that we're still using very, very old technology and concepts like GDSs to make inventory available. But doing that solves a problem that everybody has. It's good for the airlines, ultimately, I I think good for the consumer, but also anybody in between. So OTAs or even just third-party developers getting access to that APIs. That's interesting. Let's see how it works in practice. For those who were questioning what an API is, for that sense here, it allows Lufthansa to sell via third party, but still handles the transaction itself. So Lufthansa owns the transaction. It will probably, of course, give a fee to the third party would sold you the ticket. But I mean, this time it's Lufthansa that actually sells you the ticket and not a third party. That's the the bit that is interesting. As long as they're competitive on price, then why not? We had a question, and I don't, I want to listen to you about it. I, so I will uh, ask Patrick, his name is, for uh, forgiveness, because that question lingered in my email uh, for uh, quite a while. It was, again, during the time we were uh, on a hiatus. What do you think of German wings, Euro wings, blind bookings? Does this concept have the potential to be picked up by other airlines? So I looked at what blind booking is. It's basically, it's a website uh, by Euro wings, uh, German wings. Again, these two are now one the same and you go there and you have tickets for 33 euros it's really low cost but you don't know where you're going you just say these are my dates and i want to go a place which is sunny and friendly shopping a metropolis a party place etc and there you go so it's mystery booking what do you think alex i think it's been tried so many times before and ultimately ends up in disappointment because those terms are so subjective aren't they 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 could be so open to interpretation i mean for an airline it's a sensible idea to fill empty seats. But if there are places that are desirable and in season, then you wouldn't think that there would be much inventory to sell because if they're marketing the tickets and the routes correctly, then it should be okay. I never actually tried it. It's something that I would do. Absolutely. But I don't know. I would be interested to hear if this actually works. Yeah, on a large scale. I don't know. I'm not the target then again. 33 euro is a very low cost. Yeah, it is. And I think so that probably mitigates a lot of the risk. But 
I think Priceline in the beginning was kind of built on blind booking. You didn't know what airline you were flying on or what hotel you were going to stay in when you got a very, very good price. That was all distressed inventory. But you knew where you were going. So this is taking it to another level. You know, so many of us are are traveling for a reason and have picked the destination. And then the next decision we make is just trying to find the flights. So Correct. Uh, it's going to be a small segment of the population. And I think that's why every startup that's tried this has ultimately failed because there's such a small segment of the population that travels like that. I don't think it's wrong. It's just there's not a a big enough market to sustain it as a product in itself, but maybe as as a feature, if you will, like for Eurowings, then it might actually work pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. Agreed. And since we're on German airspace, you sent me that video. You were so quick, probably because you always scour Reddit, that intercept of a Jet Airways 777 <laughs> over German yeah. airspace. That was quite something, especially the fact that it was filmed. It was extraordinary. Yeah. So I guess what happened was when they were transitioning between airspace or control spaces, they fat fingered the uh, putting the frequency in. And so they were neither here nor there. And that just sends alarm bells off when air traffic control can't get hold of an airplane because they, I think, correctly assume the worst. So they scrambled, as procedure dictates, two Euro, German Eurofighters, <laughs> uh, the Typhoons. And I don't think this is particularly unusual. But what is unusual is that a thousand feet above them and... Uh, I don't know, I can't really tell, but maybe a mile behind them is a BA-777 coming from the Maldives. And they took out their phone or their GoPro or whatever device they had, and they filmed these two fighters coming up alongside this Jet Airways 777. When you describe it, you you know, that's what happens. But seeing these two fighter jets converge on this completely sort of benign 777 cruising through the air is really quite spectacular. Of course, everything was fine. Like I said, they fat figured the frequency. I'm sure they're going to get a talking to because, or at least maybe they'll get the bill from the uh, from the oh, German wow. Air yeah, Force maybe. To, to, to cover the cost of that. But really spectacular footage. I mean, it's 10 minutes long of basically the same view, but it's such a unique view that it's so compelling. Absolutely stunning. It almost looked like a dashboard cam that we see yeah. in Russia in a lot of footage. Like you had that in front of your flight deck and you just record whatever is in front of you. But it's amazing footage. So rare, but so amazing. You mentioned just before, yeah, the rollout of the Dreamliner Dash 10. It was on February 17th. So we're recording today, uh, February 22nd, 2017. So it was just five days ago. It's a stretch version of the Dash 9. Boeing says it has 10% better fuel of an emission efficiency. They say in a two-class environment, it will be 330 passengers. As a reminder, the Dash 8 is around 240 and a Dash 9, 290. So it's, it's a big plane. Do you think they will even go further than that? Do you think they will... I don't you know, think so. I think it's probably the most efficient point there, 330 passengers with an airplane as efficient as the 787 is in general. I would be surprised if they stretched it even further, but I think we always said that about the A340, didn't we? And then the 600 yeah. came along and just looked yep. patently ridiculous, but uh, <laughs> it proved to be quite a popular airplane, and you still see them flying around in a lot of reasonably modern fleets. But no, I don't, I don't think so because i think then the triple seven x picks up from there yeah they were cannibalize their own yeah. sales or something i don't know godspeed to that new aircraft i'm looking forward to also try it i think i've tried both the dash eight and the dash nine but who are the uh, launch so. customers for it uh i just want to know if i can fly on it <laughs> <laughs> you know guys this uh, and i keep mentioning it every time we talk about new aircraft there's this uh 
Routes Online, that's a website, that's has a one dedicated site. page when it tells you the routes of every new generation of planes. So the CS100 we talked about last episode, uh, the, even the Sukhoi jets, whatever. So if you really are an AV geek and want to try new aircrafts, you can go there. They have a PDF for all the routes they are undertaking and also all the announced routes. It's really cool. It is you, cool. So the launch customer for the 78710 is Singapore Airlines. Of course it is. <laughs> and I didn't know that. I didn't even know they were getting 787s. But here's another thing that's really interesting. The components of the of the fuselage are too big to fit inside the Dreamlifter, which is the modified 747 that they use yep. exclusively for Dreamliner parts to get them from the various facilities to Everett. So it's the first commercial wide body from Boeing that is not being built at the Everett facility. Oh, wow. Where yeah, is it so built? I assume it's North Carolina. In fact, that must be where it is because that's where they did the rollout. But if anyone yeah, knows yeah, any you're right. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I forgot to tell you about, you surely have enough of me talking about Swiss because every episode now seems to be talking about Swiss. Obviously, I fly them very often. But I forgot to tell you that something that's I was sitting in the aircraft. There was, you know, the traditional shopping thing in front of me and their in-flight magazine. And it was advertising for Breitling. And actually, Swiss and Breitling, Breitling is a watchmaker for those who don't know, have come up with a special edition for the 777-300ER Swiss no Breitling. Way. Yeah. There are only 777 pieces, obviously, duh. <laughs> the retail price is 7,077 Swiss francs. That is around $7,200. Swiss-brightling.com. It's, it's really cool. I'm not sure that a lot of people will buy this because, you know, it's $7,000. It's not nothing. Yeah. They say that every 777-300ER flight has one on board. Only one. If you don't fly on a 777 by Swiss, you can still pre-order it to have it on the flight the day you are actually flying. So if you're really interested, if you're into watches and triple sevens and Boeings, I think uh, it's a good it's a good looking watch. I mean, I don't buy watches. I don't. It's a dangerous don't habit to get into. <laughs> yeah, in well, fact, yeah. the, uh, there's a watch company here in the UK called Bremont, and they are very aviation oriented. In fact, they claim that they have a watch that has pieces of the original Wright brother Wright fly fabric no behind way. yeah i don't know how they did that or why they did you did have that. one no but i have the catalog and they have all of these uh aviation themed watches so if that's your jam then i hope you have a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's the thing right the problem with me is that i always tend to scratch my watches i know they are like you know anti scratching or whatever but i'm just i, I suck I at mean, this i just have an apple watch and i've thrashed it so if i'm thrashing that there's no way i'm getting a Seven thousand and seventy-seven Swiss franc watch. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So since I just mentioned the CS hundred, just after I released the show uh, the forty-eight, when I mentioned my flight on on the CS hundred, there was a nice article in the Economist by Gulliver. Gulliver is an opinion piece in the Economist, and it says that according to him or her, because you know the Economist doesn't reveal who writes it there; all the names are hidden. People like to fly alternatives to Boeing and. Airbus. That's the thing. It says the CS100 by Swiss 
the Sea 300 by Air Baltic, even the Sukhoi jets that I think City Jet has gotten these first ones. He or she mentions the upcoming E2 by Embraer, the Comax C919. There's a load of them coming out. Yeah, and, and the whole point here, it's I think it's a bit simplistic because the writer basically says, oh yeah, there's this more leg room and the seats are slightly bigger. Yeah, well, but that's a choice of the airline, right? At the end of the day, you could also cramp a lot of seats into these jets as well. But to say that non-geeks are non-people like us are enjoying to fly in different kind of aircraft. So welcome, economists, yeah. to the world of AV geeks. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm going to Norway next month and I thought, yeah, I could just jump on BA. But I wonder if anyone interesting flies that route or if there's a kooky which, jet. Which you know, city are you going just to? Just Oslo. So the answer to the thing, my exploration was no. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Bergen. I gave a lecture at the Norwegian School of Economics in, I think it was in November or October. And I ended up taking BA and it was a 320. The good thing, though, we mentioned that many times in the show. Bergen is one of these places that if you fly from, it's actually super cheap to yeah, the yeah. US. Yeah, yeah so. Oslo is one of them as well. So if you start your flight there and go to Asia or anywhere else, it's very, very cheap. We give a lot of, not bashing, but, you know, sometimes we're not very kind to the 320. It's a great aircraft. The oh reason God, we do yeah, it is, is just because living in Europe, it's the plane you almost end up with for some reason, right? It's always yeah. a 320. And for some, that's why we can uh, uh, overvalue probably non-320s. The 320 has been around for three decades now, and FlightGlobal.com did a great feature of that three decades of the 320. It's behind a paywall, I think, but it's a fascinating one. By the end of 2016, Airbus had received 13,066 orders and delivered almost 7,000 of them. So it's really a really popular aircraft. So um, if you love that kind of stuff, guys, go. I'll put the, the link in the show notes. It's a very interesting piece about the, the 320. Back to the US. United has finally released his Polaris seat. Why do I say seat? Is because we talked about Polaris, but Polaris, that's a bit... Polaris is both the new name for business class, or first, depending on how you call it, but at the same time, it's the name of the seat. So you could fly Polaris, but not have the Polaris seat, and you could fly Polaris and have the Polaris seat. So that's why it's a bit that's confusing. stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just stupid. I agree. <laughs> so the uh, the Polaris seat was revealed in, uh, what was it? It's a tr- 777-300ER actually they're getting 14 of these basically they're going up to speed with what most airlines in the world are doing in business class I, i'll keep calling business class i hate to call it first class it's only the us who does that so they had like the inaugural flight i think from san francisco i think uh it looked it, it looks pretty nice the only thing to a friend of mine uh, she has flown she works at Waze. um she's the head of uh, global marketing and head of brand for 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 Waze in new york uh she she flew polaris but not to see she flew polaris the new you know again you know that branding thing what she tells me is that they offer a teddy bear so it's a nice id but what do you do with a teddy bear when you arrive it's pretty big actually when you arrive at destination what what, what? yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and you know what's interesting is that on airliners.net and airlinereporter.com there's a couple of very detailed trip reports of this new physical product or some of them refer to it as polaris light I mean, it looks good. And the guy on airlinereporter.com basically concluded saying, I kept forgetting that I was flying on United. 
Yeah. I will admit that I give United a lot of bashing. Uh, this time it's not because I kid, it's really because I don't like their product. This is something that I see myself trying, clearly. Yeah, I mean, it looks good and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can match the physical product with the soft product, which has always been uh, mm-hmm. where they've slipped up. So I, I will try it. The next time I have the opportunity, I, I will I will try it. Quite difficult to find because, as you say, they only have... 14. I mean, no, they ordered 14. I'm not sure yeah, they even they have think, their 14. No, I think it will be very difficult to find. We hope we can try. Because some people, you know, accuse us to be sometimes too nice to airlines because supposedly they would invite us to try the products. No, we... No, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we we've don't. done 49 episodes and that has happened exactly zero <laughs> zero times. Zero times. <laughs> but United, if you're hearing us and you want to do it, please, <laughs> we'd yeah. be very happy to try it. <laughs> Uh, oh, by the way, it's interesting as well because they've um, the amenity tickets and everything that is, you know, the the blanket and whatever is uh, done in partnership with Saks. Yes, and, and apparently uh, the duvet is really, really good, like really thick. Oh wow, which nice. is uh, unusual for an airlines because usually they're pretty crappy. It looks good. I hope it continues. I hope it scales. And if you are in New York, either you live there or you visit, if you pass by Fifth Avenue where Saks is located, their uh, windows are now united and you can see the product directly there. So they actually are talking about an airline on the Fifth Avenue. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. So Delta is bringing back free food in coach only on 12 routes, but still, wow. So it means yeah. that competition works in the US, right? Yeah. BA is reducing food, but Delta is bringing back food. I think it's great. Hopefully everybody else picks up on this as well. It's crazy that that's now a differentiator. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's great, right? <laughs> I think in the US, what, 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 I think Continental stopped food in 2010, was it? I don't remember. Fortune asks industry professional executives, analysts about the reputation of corporate. So there's nothing to do about consumer satisfaction, right? Uh, and in airlines, the most admired airlines in the world, first, Delta, uh, second, Air France KLM, third, Cathay Pacific, fourth, Singapore, then Lufthansa, United, Southwest, and ANA. Nothing to do about consumer satisfaction. It could be also how well the, the company is run, and et cetera, et cetera. Delta just also announced, I think you've read that, they will give back profit sharing, $1.1 billion back to their employees. Wow. Um, well, I guess they, they deserve that number one spot. I don't know. Would you Would you say Delta, Air France, KLM, and Cathay in that order? No. <laughs> I don't you think would be Cathay would. first. You would be Cathay first, then Virgin, or maybe Virgin Not first Virgin. and Cathay. Well, you know, it's been, I, admittedly, it's been a long time since I've flown on Virgin Atlantic, so I don't know what they're like these days, but... I'll talk in America, man. I mean, I know they're gone, but that was just making well, fun of you. I would put JetBlue up way up higher. Yeah. I like JetBlue. I think Delta in, the, in terms of the US, absolutely. Fortune also released uh, a list of the top 50 most admired companies, but that's a different methodology. But this time, there's only two airlines mentioned, Southwest at number eight and Singapore at number 33. Uh, this, of course, is this list is led by the Apple and Amazon and Starbucks. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Southwest is a hugely yeah, admired I agree. brand. And Singapore Airlines, they've extended the brand so much. They've got ancillary brands and I, I can see that. I can definitely see that. But since I just said something positive about United, I have to now give some, a story which is not positive. Sorry, guys, United. I'm sure you're great. Uh, but it's just a funny story. Have you seen that story where the United airline pilot was removed from a plane 
because she arrived, I think, two hours late to her flight or something, at least very late in her flight. She was not dressed, apparently, like she was supposed to. And she took the PA and started, like, shouting political statements that she hates Clinton, she hates Trump. And she then says, I'm going through a divorce. And that's why... (laughs) And at the end of it, she says, don't worry, I'm going to let my co-pilot fly is a man. What? Whoa, no, I missed that one. (laughs) Holy cow. Exactly. Which now reminds me that uh, you were not in that configuration, but you had to ask for compensation. You promised us the story about that. You flew from JFK back to London. You had to wait. I think your plane was delayed for 10 hours, if I remember the story correctly. And you said, I want to do myself this whole process of compensation in Europe. So how did it go? Yeah, I thought, and I said in the last time we talked about this, and I completely forgot to bring it up in the last two recordings. I was bracing myself for a long and painful battle and it would take forever. Well, I filled out the form on British Airways website, which is a generic complaint form. There's a really good thread on Flyer Talk for here's the steps that you should do to get your EC261 compensation. And ours was a cut and dry case. There was no way that they could have gotten out of it because it was mechanical, it happened in flight, it wasn't anybody else's fault. So I submitted the form and then I waited and I waited and I waited and about three or four days went by and I heard nothing. So I went on Twitter and DM, so I didn't I didn't do anything public, I didn't try and kind of leverage that or anything and I just DM'd British Airways because I've always found them so good and said, could you possibly look into this for me? And they said, yeah, sure, just confirm your identity as they always do, we'll get back to you. Later that day, my phone rings. It's somebody from the BA social media team called me and said, so sorry about this. What's your bank details? We are sending the money right now. They didn't need any additional information. They didn't need me to sign anything. Then 48 hours later, the money was in my bank. Wow. Wow. It was 600 euros per passenger. And it was painless. It was absolutely painless. And again, kudos to the British Airways social media team. They do such a phenomenal job. And they were proactive enough to call me and not just uh, DM me back and forth. Really impressive. You're proving to all of these people who say, oh, millennials, they only know how to use social media but not calling, that people can use actually a phone still. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they absolutely, they did. They, 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 the whole, the whole process, as soon as I wrote them into the conversation, took just a matter of hours. Lovely. Yeah. Wow. Really, really easy. So, and again, you know, I think you mentioned this when we first talked about it, that there are services out there that will fight this that, fight on yep. your behalf, but they'll take a pretty substantial cut. 30%. Thir- yeah, ouch. So just the British Airways did a good job. I don't, there may be a lot of other instances where it's not as cut and dry as ours was. And maybe then you need one of these services. But in this instance, it was painless. And also probably if you're dealing with airlines which don't have such a good customer service history, you might maybe want to use one of these services that will fight for you. People can gather which airlines I'm thinking about. Some airlines might not be as proactive as uh, British Airways. Uh, even And I think they're proactive even if you don't have status like you do. Uh, uh, so British Airways for that has always been exemplary. Absolutely. And I think they should be commended for it. Yeah, I'm flying them twice, actually. I'm going to Geneva and Athens. You know what? Because I became that guy. That's the only way I can get to gold. <laughs> Stupid me. Anyway, uh, another type of airspace. We're going over, I think, Korean airspace. Uh, another story that dates back, I think it was December. Richard Marks, I'll be right here waiting for you. Well, yeah. he's been waiting, not probably waiting for that one. Uh, you probably read that, guys, if you are following the news about aviation, or even if not, because everybody talked about it. 
He had to help a Korean air crew uh, subdue a very disruptive passenger. <laughs> that went on for four hours, for crying out loud. Uh, I, I mean, I've never had to crazy. deal with that kind of long... I mean, I've seen, you know, my fair share of drunk passengers and disruptive passengers, but four hours, holy cow. What I didn't know is that Korean Air has tasers on Yeah, board. Yeah, this only really came to light as a result of this story, that they have tasers it's on board crazy. and use them a surprising amount. I mean, relative to the amount of... I think five or seven times. The BBC went and asked other airlines, do you have tasers on board? Most of them didn't comment, so we don't know. Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Some of them said no. Uh, obviously, we know that airlines in the US and, of course, El Al have air marshals on board. I guess that helped. If someone is trained at dealing with situations like that, because that's the thing, it was the whole debate. Was the Korean air crew trained well enough to deal with the situation? Again, it went on for four hours. There's videos online. I mean, I mean don't encourage you to look at them because the guy is really an ass. Uh, yeah, but not Richard Marks. No, no, not Richard Marks. Richard Marks. <laughs> Come on. I wish I had his hair. I don't have any hair anymore. Uh, and... Uh, you have that, though. Do you think that staff, that crew, should be trained to actually subdue people? I think it's a necessary evil these days. You see so often... I mean, that's a story you do hear a lot of, is disruptive passengers. But it's not an easy decision to make because you could theoretically kill somebody with one of those things. But if it gets to that point when you're over the Pacific and you've got nowhere to divert to for a couple of hours, you know, would you rather have one or would you rather not have one? I don't know. It's really interesting to me that so few other airlines have them. The IATA also was questioned. The IATA said it's not a mandatory requirement and we don't survey our airlines. So basically, we don't know. True. Korean Air did it five times. So you can either use it as use a compressed air to fire darts, yep. which send an electric charge. So that was used three times by Korean Air. And the other case, the gun was used as a stun gun directly into the passenger. So I guess like a contact or something. Yeah, exactly. So five times. After that return marks thing, they would they have actually eased the use of tasers. Basically saying that, you know, four hours was too long. Staff should have used tasers way before. Another video that also was in December, and I'm sure you've seen it, Alex. I think it was pulled down now. It was that pilot from Citylink. So that's a subsidiary of Garuda was completely wasted oh, passing yeah. by security at Juanda International Airport. That <laughs> was bad. How Indonesian, did, they actually, how did they let them pass? I mean, he's so wasted. It's really, really bad. And that country has so many aviation infrastructure issues as it is. It's growing quickly and it hasn't got the technology and the resources to keep up with that growth. And this just is another sorry chapter that, that he was even able to get past all those people whose responsibility it is to make sure that those flights are safe, not just from uh, somebody trying to get something nefarious on board, but also for this type of thing. It was uh, just bad. Uh, since we're on the topic of alcohol, I didn't know that Buzz Aldrin drank alcohol in space. Uh, he drank wine, actually. Uh, I I, I believe that. it. <laughs> yes. But it's interesting why they did it, because they wanted to see what were the effects of alcohol, of course, in space, and what are the effects of alcohol in flight. And I always believe that alcohol has more effect in altitude 
that on the ground. Apparently it doesn't. Really? They say people who claim to have got drunk on a plane in a way that's faster than normal could be just experiencing the think-drink effect, uh, which basically suggests that people are going to act more drunk if they think they are drunk. So because you think that alcohol has more effect in a plane, you will have a tendency to act more drunk than you actually are. I don't know whether or not that's true, but the study had been done by the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration. We're not talking about something done by BuzzFeed or something. So, well, It goes against a lot of strongly held wisdom, but... uh... Of course, alcohol is not permitted aboard the International Space Station, if you ever want to get there, Next time you're up there, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about alcohol, you could get a lot in uh, the new (laughs) longest ever flight. Actually, it was done now. It's uh, Qatar has done it. Uh, Oh, God, yeah. uh, New Zealand from Doha. I think it's like... Yeah, to Auckland. More than 9,000 miles. So that's around 15,000 kilometers. They used a 777-200 long range. It crossed 10 time zone over its flight. I'm sorry because we're not proponent of drinking here. Actually, I try not to drink uh, on planes and I actually not being drinker in life anyway. But uh, one of the effects of alcohol is of drinking non-alcoholic beverages as well is you want to go to the bathroom. Yes. So usually that's not an issue where you're in the air, but apparently it is an issue for the ground staff in the UK because that story you sent me yesterday, it just, I blew my mind. I still can't believe this. I still can't believe this that British Airways have had to ask baggage handlers to please stop urinating in the holds of airplanes because it could burn (laughs) holes in the fuselage. (laughs) What the hell? This is a a new fear of mine that I never knew I had before. Uh, Extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary that this is a thing. They didn't want to walk back. It was too far. So they'd say, oh, I'm just going to relieve myself in the hole. This is a BA source that's saying that. BA officially said, we have no record of this. Of course, you're not going to have a record of this. You don't <laughs> log every time someone takes a piss in the cargo bay of, a, of an airplane. But uh, yeah, just incredible. So there's no pre-boarding for uh, drunk passengers or people who want to urinate in the plane. But there wasn't. A, I was not aware of that. There are uh, pre-boarding procedures for people that are allergic to nuts in the U.S. It allows people to go and kind of clean your, yeah. your their seats. When you, which... when you think about it, or when you originally hear it, you're like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. These people feel that they should be allowed to pre-board the airplane along with people that need assistance or have disabilities. And they're like, well, no, allergy isn't a disability. This is ridiculous. But when they explain the rationale, which is, as you just said, so they can have an opportunity to clean the space that they'll be sitting in ahead of time, because they're not always deep clean between turns, airplanes, rarely deep clean between turns. That makes makes some sense. sense. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Given that, you know, nut allergies in many cases can be fatal. I mean, I think it's a frustration because, you know, American Airlines don't serve nuts Mm -hmm. and they don't allow people with nut allergies to to pre-board. And they also don't prevent people from bringing on their own nuts. You know, a plain environment for someone with a nut allergy probably isn't great, but... It's a difficult one. I think this is a lot more nuanced than the headlines and consumerist at Al make it appear to be. Yeah, which is that there was a group that filed a complaint against American Airlines. So I didn't know. Honestly, I had no idea. It yeah. makes sense. It and I guess Delta, absolutely makes sense. Delta have a policy that they will let them pre-board. 
and Southwest, who are famous for serving nuts, will not serve the nuts if they know that someone on board is oh, wow. allergic. But what I want to know is, can't any Tom, Dick, and Harry say, I'm allergic to nuts, let me get on first? Is there any way of proving it? And, but I suppose, unless it's physically obvious, you don't question anybody else when they pre-board, so... As long as it's one or two people, of course, if suddenly yeah. half of the plane always says, I'm allergic to nuts, which is actually either we have an increase of health issue in the US and elsewhere, or it's because people are just messing with you. But I think it's fair. I mean, I'm lucky not to be allergic to anything. So for me, as an external point of view, I can only imagine imagine how crazy it must be that just having maybe even nuts in the atmosphere on an aircraft would actually create allergies. So I understand why they would ask for it. Yeah. You're not allergic to nuts, are you? No. Was KLM bringing you nuts? Because I asked you at the end of the last episode, so will you fly? You know, the, our usual question, and neither of us were supposed to fly until we record that one, but obviously you found an opportunity to fly. <laughs> you flew I did. to Amsterdam with, was it with KLM or BA? Which would be A. Tell us the story. <laughs> so it was half term last week here in the UK, which is a week oh, off of school for yeah. the kids. And and I took my eldest son, who's six, to New York. Obviously, we've talked about that in the past. But my youngest son, who is three, is a complete aviation... Oh, yeah. Just... I can Guys, trust him and trust me when he says that. That's crazy. Of, it... of course, with a father like that, he would become one. But that's even more than you would think. Yeah, it's it's, it's to the point where I was getting worried. But, you know, he can easily, <laughs> easily correctly identify 50-plus airplanes by their silhouettes alone. Yeah, better uh, than me, for crying so out So you loud. can look at Plane Finder on the Apple TV and look at the silhouette of an airplane and know what it is and he knows all the airlines and stuff like that. It's just a huge passion of his. So I thought, let's find something really quick and cheap and I'll take him on a flight for a day. And of course, Amsterdam is only 40 minutes flight away from London and Schiphol is a great place to be an airplane geek because they've Correct. got this huge viewing gallery. They've got a decommissioned KLM Fokker, which you can crawl around in. So I found a crazy cheap fare. It's cheaper for us to get from London to Amsterdam and faster than it was to get from our house in Kent to London City airport. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, which is ridiculous. And so we got to London City Airport early so he could sit and watch all the planes. And I didn't tell him that we were going on a flight. I just said we were going to the airport to watch airplanes. Nice. And so we eventually we went through security and the city's great for that. And he's like, oh, there's an Avaliner, there's an Ember, there's a Dornier, which I had never told him what a Dornier <laughs> was, but he figured it out. Um, so God. we get down to the gate. And actually, I don't know if you've been to city recently, but nope. 75% of the way through a nice refurbishment there. They've done a good oh, job. okay, cool. We get down to the gate, which is just like this holding pen at, at ramp level. And he's peeking through the door. And the first officer came down and she said, uh, oh, are you going to Amsterdam? And I was like, well, he didn't know that, but now oh. he does. And it was, she's like, oh, no, that's okay. And he's looking at the one. He's like, oh, look, there's an emperor. And she said, wow, he really knows his stuff. And I explained that he's a fan. And she said, I tell you what, young man, give me five minutes and then come up and see me on the flight deck. And so... I'm so jealous. She and the captain went off and did their flight back. We went up and she put him in the right-hand seat, put her hat on him. They even let him uh, press a couple of uh, innocuous buttons and that just absolutely made his day. The cabin crew doted on him, gave him extra cookies and they said, the captain wants to see you when you get off the airplane. So we went up to the flight deck and they prepared a logbook for it. Oh, no way! A logbook and they'd filled it all out 
out with the plane and the flight number and the miles and all that and giving him this like backpack with all this British Airways swag. It was really impressive the way they looked after him. Just so great. That's amazing. Honestly. Yeah, B I love BA City Flyer. I think they're a really great little outfit. Two things here. First, I need to have kids just to do that <laughs> yeah. and, uh, because I'm not allowed in the flight deck. And second, well, we have the next generation of layovers oats already in the making because he would be a great one, I'm oh, sure. Yeah, he, you'll the talk about airplanes until your ears start bleeding. <laughs> and you say that. Yeah. Like, you yeah. Say, that's the thing. I, I don't know how your wife copes with it. No, I mean, she also into airplanes, so that's she fine. She is, yeah. Your, your, your entire family is into it. You could become a pilot one day. I mean, you should introduce him to, to Mark. You know, maybe that will lead to a great career and he'll be your and my pilot when we yeah. fly BA. That would it's be so awesome. It's a strong possibility. <laughs> But if you don't want to be a pilot, but you still want to actually fly, we mentioned that Airbus was thinking about launching a flying taxi this year. Well, Dubai always wants to get first. Dubai is launching this year their first pilotless vehicles. So they're developed with a Chinese company who already does a drone. They're fully electrical. They have an autonomy of 30 minutes. Apparently, if one of the engines stops working, it finds the closest location to land and lands automatically. What do you think? Wow. I read this as well. I think it's a very interesting idea. I'd love to know what the fail-safes are. A friend of mine, Cédric Agros, so Cédric is a broadcaster in France for TF1, which is the largest broadcasting company, uh, television channel, basically, in France. And he, he's seen it. He hasn't tried it. And he told me there's no collision avoidance system. Oh, that's not good. The freaking DJI Mavic drone has collision avoidance. <laughs> I want to buy that one, by the way. Me it's too. really cool. Yeah, the Mavic is the first drone I'm actually thinking of actually buying because I can put it in my backpack, right? It's not too heavy and too big. Yeah, it looks so we have cool. our friend, you remember we had uh, Dean Johnson. We had yeah. him on this show very early in the days. I, I saw him yesterday. He's a geek. He has all the gadgets possible and imaginable, VR stuff and whatever. He travels with two carry-ons and one large suitcase. It's crazy to travel like that. Me and you are like, you know, we want to be it fast. It just makes right? me stressed out even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I always try to reduce uh, having this small drone because the Mavic kind of reduces in a very small format. You can put it in a backpack. Why not? It's cool, yeah. and it looks good. Uh, so, but if you want to go even further into reduction of your carry-on and the, the things you have, well, there's a Kickstarter campaign, which I just saw yesterday. The name is the Airport Jacket. Have you seen that one? No. It's, it's, it's a huge coat, which can carry up to 15 kilos of things, basically. Oh, you, you don't need a carry-on. There's a huge pocket that get, can fit, I think, a 13 or 14-inch laptop. What oh, the heck am I talking on. about? <laughs> That's a smart carry-on, right? Wait a minute, because no. there was the other one, the, the travel jacket, which is a hoodie, which is actually yeah, quite but cool. Yeah, but that's different. That's for, for your gadgets, right? Yeah, that's more... which is really smart, because it's exactly what I do, and I pe recommend to people. This one is basically a way to avoid to pay your fees to have extra luggage, because yeah, imagine, <laughs> Alexis, I, because we record and we have a camera when we do that, guys, and I can see Alex stunned on the other side of that camera feed, <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Well, there was a story, I don't know if you remember, it was last year, this guy who had tried to get into a low-cost flight, I cannot remember, maybe it was Wizard or whatever, he had put like 16 layers of clothes on him. So that's basically the same idea, right? <laughs> 
That's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that's that's clever. But, uh, you know, they've been doing this since, what, January 24th, and they've only raised 16000 of their 100000 goal. So I have a feeling that this is going to not pan out. Well, but, you know, who knows? Just travel like a normal person, please. <laughs> Was <laughs> not us, by the way. Uh, the <laughs> two little news, and then I'll go to earlier. I, I had an entire feature on Air France and KLM, but since we're running out of time, I'll do it the next time. Uh, first, Uber just hired a, a NASA veteran to develop flying cars as well. So, well, you'll see. One day, we'll not even need a seven four seven pilot license. I can just fly my car to see you, Alex. Yeah, Only mental. And Ed Parsons at Ed Parsons on Twitter told me that Thunder City no longer operates at Cape Town. There was a crash, apparently. So again, this uh, ability to experience uh, crazy yeah, aircrafts. Still, yeah, they still do have a couple of lightnings that they throw around, but there was a crash several years ago at an air show okay. that, I, you know, I'd forgotten about that, and Ed's absolutely spot on. They do still take the lightnings out from time to time, but I gather they've mothballed or sold the rest of the fleet since then. But do the hangar is still there in pristine condition right at the end of the runway, so it, it's still there, but I don't think it's nearly what it used to be. It's just a shame. You said you were to a day trip in Amsterdam with your son. Did you stay at the airport in Amsterdam? Did you go up to the, the terrace where there's we did, this yeah, uh, we stayed fake at, plane? We stayed right there. And like you say, they've got a beautiful landside viewing terrace with an old decommissioned KLM Fokker, which you can climb up into. Uh, you get great views and they've got a great little restaurant there as well. So it's a great airport for a layover. This is why I asked the question, because, okay, Orly is the second biggest airport around Paris. Uh, it doesn't have a great reputation, but I'll first tell a little bit of history, because for French people and people who speak French, have you seen a lot of movies, Orly is a very iconic airport, super iconic. You just mentioned the fact that you can see a lot of planes. So Orly was one of the first airports in the world to offer that possibility to have this full view of what happens on the apron and on, you know, on the, the runways from the terminal. You know, when we talk about the fact that um, Incheon and Shanghai in Singapore are now trying to make the airport as a destination even for locals. You go for shopping and you spend a day. Only in the 60s did that. There was shopping destinations. People would go and spend their days at Orly on a Sunday to have coffee and shopping and see the aircraft. To the ah. point, and that's unbelievable, to the point that in the mid-60s, Orly Airport was more visited than the Eiffel Tower. What? Yes, it's that iconic. Uh, Jacques Brel, a very famous uh, songwriter and singer, Gilbert Becot, they wrote songs about the airport. I mean, that's why in, in French, I don't know mind it's still a very iconic airport of course it has fallen behind so it has two main terminals a uh, strangely one is called west and the other is called south uh, that's no number there's no north i mean north existed i think for a time there were also that's another thing they were also one of the first airports if not the first airport to think about something that nowadays we all are well it's normal departure on the first floor arrivals on the lower floor the french have always been quite interesting in these you know infrastructure projects. They were very smart. Again, years later, you know, of course, now Orly is suffering a bit. They're expanding it. Orly is going to have a new building that sits in between these two terminals. So it will be one a bit like Amsterdam, which you just mentioned. One single terminal with three holes in it. So easy to navigate. But right now, it's true that I flew to Orly. When was it? It was in October. I went to the, the Paris car show to do a speech. And I felt like I was kind of landing in the 60s, 70s. But like in a 
a bad way, like the airport is being refurbished but it's not finished, it's not that great, it feels cramped. This whole idea of free flows in an airport, that has gone. So of course the airport needs to be brought up to the 21st century, but it's still an okay airport. It's around 30 million passengers a year. That that puts it in the top 12 or top 15 in Europe. It's, it's yeah. a big airport. People cannot say, oh, it's a second airport. You know, Air France only decided to move Charles de Gaulle. I remember when I was a kid, Charles de Gaulle, like in the, even in the 90s, was this, oh, this airport that is very far. We're not going to go there, right? Air France only decided to move to Charles de Gaulle, I think, like in the mid-90s. I think the full takeover from Charles de Gaulle from, uh, from Mali was in uh, 96 or something. That's actually pretty recent. So you might know it if you use, you know, low-cost carriers, but not only Iberia go there, British Airways, which I took, go there. Right now, I wouldn't recommend it for layovers at all, unless you like that kind of feeling of going back in the 70s. I'd rather go to Charles de Gaulle Terminal 1, which is really a callback to the 50s and 70s, whereas this one doesn't know what it wants, but it's okay-ish. The one thing that is nice is the, uh, you know, have you ever used Open Skies, uh, Alex? No. So I haven't used it, sadly. So Open Skies is this... uh, basically this airline owned by British Airways which does Paris to the US uh, to New York and uh, because it's catered for business passengers, they, uh, British Airways even though they have very few flights, they have Open Skies and that flight to Heathrow and I think maybe a flight to Lucy as well they have a very nice lounge, it's called uh, 212 and the reason I say it's cool is because unlike a lot of the other lounges at Orly, it has a view of the planes, so nice. it's it's really nice, so I'll put also a link in the show notes of a review of that one, it's not a big one etc. It's really a lounge that you go just before the flight. So not a great airport, but it was iconic. And I hope for Paris that it becomes iconic again. The last thing, and that's the case for all Paris, we haven't done on purpose Charles de Gaulle yet because we don't really like it. So <laughs> yeah. go for it. Uh, the other problem that it shares with Charles de Gaulle, it's, it's overly complicated to go to the city with it. There's no like a direct train. You can take the, some kind of the Orlival, which is yeah, some type w- of train that goes to another train station, which you have to then change, or you can take one RER, which is a regional train that at the end you have to change to go to another station. It's still not perfect. And in France, sadly, Uber and Chauffeur Privé, Chauffeur Privé is the equivalent of Uber in France. Let's say they have a very bad relationship with with taxis. So when you get out of the terminal, which I did, well, the driver didn't want to come in front of the terminal because he was afraid that we'd be entering into a fight with cab drivers. So he would stop a little bit uh, hidden and you had to walk there. uh, Charles de Gaulle was even worse. There's a dedicated door for, (laughs) for Uber and all these type of transports. And you had like a group of taxi drivers waiting in front of the door and kind of tell you, what are you doing here? Uh, taxis are the other way. So, oh, uh, yeah. So be careful when you, I mean, be careful. Don't worry. You're not going to get into a fight, but know that it's not the easiest at either airports to go to the city if you use services like Uber or Chauffeur Privé. Well, on that, Alex, so any flights coming? You bring your other son to another place? To somewhere. Um, no. Currently, no. Not until we go to Hong Kong in exactly one month, but again, these yeah, things here. always, always pop up. I'm flying next week to both Geneva and Athens, both with BA, I said earlier, because I wanted to reach gold. <laughs> my first time I will ever have gold. It's probably my last time. I will actually make an exception and not fly Swiss to Geneva, I fly BA. And I'm flying again on the 767 BA to go to Athens. I like so, that service. I like that service. So I will, I will actually also report back. And I guess we'll record just after I come back. So until then, guys, happy travels. Safe travels.